0: Hello, and welcome to Such a Nightmare Conversations About Horror. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I'm so excited that I once again get to be joined by Tony Tresca. Hey there! This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse giving us nightmares. And we
1: are so excited to have you join us today for our episode over... 1984's Friday the 13th, the final chapter.
0: Bum, bum, bum. I... <laughs> I really hate the naming scheme of the Friday the 13th films. It is so very confusing.
1: Is it just the Friday the 13th films? Or is it all of these producers who were just like, we're going to end it now. And then the studios were like, no, you're not.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's true. I I guess it really is all of them. But I think (laughs) this one is really just confusing me because I feel like like what's number 5 called? Do you know?
1: I I don't, but I can so so quickly google it yes, to, to, yes. to find the answer because because I know it's I, I again, there is a the fifth one. It's very
0: confusing.
1: It's called a new beginning. So they're like the oh final gosh. chapter okay. and then they're just like I at least I guess with this one, they at least acknowledge that it was over and then they're like we're going to yes. it's it has to begin again. If it, it was the final chapter, this is the not final thing.
0: Okay. Okay, I guess that does make sense. Something about these this particular, I think it's also that like 1, 2, and 3 change in terms of like going from the numbers 1, 2, and 3 to Roman numerals, like it's just it's just no consistency, which I guess is is more or less a statement that can be made about the franchise so far, right? Like this film feels very different and yet also very much the same as <laughs> the first 3 films, right? Like it's just Every film seems to be expanding on this narrative of Jason and, and this, and they all like begin by reminding us of where we've been so far with lots and lots of shots from the previous films. But at the same time, it just feels like each one's like, but let's see how we could have this be something that's completely unrelated to the plot of the first one.
1: I mean, at least with, at least with this one, there were a couple of interesting elements that were introduced, but... But 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 before but before we get too far into this, yeah. I suppose I suppose I should take a stab at the plot <laughs> uh, for anyone who has not managed to plow their way through Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. It is the fourth one, so we may be getting to a point where even fans of the franchise may not have seen this one yet. So this one is after obviously all of the. Crystal Lake massacres. We find that Jason has been pronounced as dead, uh, and he's going to the morgue, where in this morgue some shenanigans happen, and mm-hmm. he, it, Jason, is magically revived, does some murder, and then continues on to the camp where he wants to continue slaughtering. Uh, but now this time, there when he gets back to the camp, it's not just teenagers. There's also a little a little boy there who who, who also likes to do some horror things. And so, ha- has Jason met his match? I we'll talk about it.
0: <laughs> yes. So what I find very fascinating about this film is that. The reception of it seems to be kind of all over the place. Like, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 22%, mm-hmm. but IMDb has it at 6 out of 10, but 84% of Google users liked this movie. Like, mm-hmm. those are some some vastly different Yeah, the, the spread score. on this is, is Scores.
1: exceptional.
0: Yeah, and I think it kind of reflects the fact that there's a, a lot, for better and worse, going on in this film, right? because yeah. as you mentioned this is the introduction of Tommy Jarvis who we will see again in in more oh, films yeah yeah he's some people will describe him as sort of like the nemesis of of Jason i don't know if if i would use that word cuz i don't think Jason has the intelligence to have a nemesis but Tommy Jor- Jarvis is perhaps the best part of this film in setting up some other things and of course Corey Feldman is is rather lovely mm-hmm. but there's a lot of different things in this film that make it kind of all over the place, right? So first, we have the shenanigans yeah. that you mentioned. Which and,
1: uh, <laughs> I thought were the best parts of the film, which I see you shaking your head. So, I think so maybe, some of them were. Perhaps
0: you may. It seems like you maybe did not enjoy the more chaos. I, I enjoyed bits and pieces of it, but I want to start before the mark. I want to start when I knew that this movie was going to be a bit of a wild ride. And that yeah. was when they are at the crime scene. So mm-hmm. we have a scene where police officers are not wearing gloves and yeah. like picking up ax- the the, the axe and like putting it in a plastic bag. And it's like, why? You've already contaminated it. We have yeah. the medics who are upset that not that everyone's dead, but they're like, man, some emergency this was. Yeah, <laughs> And then we have...
1: They're just this, so like, unimpressed yeah, by the, yeah. like, all of this blood and guts yeah. that are everywhere. <laughs>
0: and then we have this, like, moment where these two men gang up on this female paramedic mm-hmm. and who's ju- who seems to be new, and they're just, like, giving her these, like, little lady step back expressions and then they wrap up a 10 plus murder crime scene the same night that it happened <laughs> like in a couple of hours while it's still dark like case that's, closed <laughs> yeah that's when i knew that that it was gonna be filled with gentle setting aside of anything that makes sense in terms of logic then we go to the morgue scene right yeah you're right. It gets a good. But this is a bet. This is a good place to bring
1: in I, what we are better to start than the tr- very true yeah. beginning of the film. Yes, and it does. Have, it's an absolutely baffling scene because it just portrays all authority figures as utter buffoons. Yes. And I, I, the thing that I am constantly struck by with this franchise, and this is a constant one, is when that choice is made in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. It's incredibly intentional and feels. So just like specific and like filled with so much slight, like for yes. even clearly is doing that intentionally with these films, I can't tell if it's intentional or if it's just bad writing and i but either way, I suppose they serve the same function,
0: yes, yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think i I have a answer either, because in the first film, right, there's a very clear message that that perhaps it is ridiculous. For us to put certain people, namely teenagers, in positions of authority,
1: Over and and other that children, message, yeah.
0: right, and that message is explicitly clear. But there's just like a casual, like it, it's just easier for the story if it goes this way. And that opening scene would have also been not inexpensive. They're filming at night. They had a helicopter. They had multiple vehicles on hand. They had multiple actors. And like I don't yeah. know why it couldn't have just started in the morgue.
1: I mean. I guess it was because it was a pretty impressive way to start. I mean, I, I
0: guess that's true.
1: I was like, it was some pretty impressive camera work for 1984. I thought I was like,
0: that's true.
1: I thought that it did at least like for all the like weirdnesses of this movie and the like, we're going to talk about the weirdnesses in the plot, but there's just so much behind the scenes drama with this film that if you. I think maybe that's just what's also at play here is there's like. Because the producer of this film wanted this one to be the last because he felt that he wasn't getting enough respect for producing <laughs> these slasher films. He was like, the studio doesn't respect me. And so I'm going to end this franchise right here and I'm going to do it on this huge note. And he, So he brought people back from the first one, like the makeup designer came back mm. from the first one because they were like, I want to help kill Jason. It's important mm. to me that I be a part of this. And so it's a mixture of people who are there for like some personal petty reasons, some like incredibly sentimental reasons, and just like all other types of reasons that must intentions that are involved. Like I've heard about you we'll talk more about this on our uh, spooky scrap, but there's all sorts of chaos and sh- terribleness that went on with the director and the actors in this production too. So it's just a interesting production and an interesting way into this movie.
0: It really, really is. And I didn't know that the producer felt that his reputation was on the line. Uh, that's very interesting. That I think that does explain a lot of it, though. <laughs> and I think where I begin to, to be less impressed with the shenanigans is, why? Why is she taking the time to acknowledge—is it Axel? Is that his name? sure
1: you're talking about the 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 terrible doctor
0: right 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 the the pathologist yeah so the nurse should just like he's gross and i i think i'm increasingly losing the strength to handle hollywood's continued narrative about how beautiful lovely women always end up with slobby gross men and, and I'm just kind of, like, tired of that as a narrative that we put out there. And so I can't put up with that part of the shenanigans. I was there for the death and killing, of course. I was even there for him being gross and sort of, like, creepy. I just wasn't there for her being into it.
1: See, I think that's the thing. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, but this is yet another point where I just was left baffled and kind of intrigued and perplexed at the same time because I'm like, it kind of feels like, it kind of feels intentional. Like, this guy is so awful and <laughs> so terrible. And, like, this behavior is so clearly just, like, unacceptable. And then they're both punished and murdered for it. And hey, and we're shown that this is not a healthy thing that will last. That it o- almost has me being, like, is this a really incredible satire that this that these filmmakers are doing here and because the morgue scene is filled with a lot of like really funny moments and the deaths yes. in this one are really i think some of the funniest and best executed pun intended of of the film and i would say along with like it goes like with the axe throwing moments or, like that spear from the pre- some of the previous ones comes right, up right. there with some of the other high points from the franchise i would say so it almost makes me real. This the opening of this movie almost made me think this film knew what it was doing, but I you, you can tell there's a but because it keeps yeah. going.
0: And I think I think that question of the but then makes me wonder like was it doing some of these things intentional? Because if it wasn't, it's super super lazy writing. If it was, it's intriguing, but it's not it's not perfect writing, right? And and either. And then there's the question of does it matter, right, if, if it was intentional or not, if we're reading it that way. But I think that's been my problem slash intrigue about the Friday the 13th series so far, is I can never tell if this is a really insightful series or just a kind of exceptionally lazy series. And I'm, I go back and forth at any one time. So one of the things that I, I think is intriguing about this film, and this will set us up for our scholarship, is the presence of the Jarvis family and and contrasting them with the traditional group of teenagers that all seem to have enough money to afford to get a cabin in the woods which mm-hmm. i guess it was just different times but i feel like that was never something i could afford to do when i was a teenager but we have the teenagers who are doing everything we have been taught is wrong right uh, skinny dipping drugs casual sex like and very casuals and like partners are sort of changing around you know we have pornography or the like stag films right that that teddy's watching right we have it like like everything right everything that they could possibly do that makes them bad is being done on this weekend of, of debauchery and then we have the jarvis family which is like the most wholesome family that you could possibly get We've got Trish
1: and Tommy and their, their doggo Gordon. Yeah.
0: And like the only quote scandal in the family is that the parents are separated. Right. But like Mrs. Jarvis is loving. There's that scene where they like make a a Tommy sandwich. Right. Um, Right. And they just were like hugging him. The, you know, Trish goes running in the morning with her mom And reads in the evening until she's tired, you know, like this is a really wholesome family. There's really no bickering between the siblings, which often is an easy way to like create either funny lines or, or just random drama. But there was, there's none of that. This is like an ideal vision of a family minus again, just the absence of the dad. And we have these two, two storylines or two sort of groups of people being contrasted together. Did you like that? I thought it was more interesting than if it had just been because I thought originally,
1: when we left the morgue and we immediately kind of like transitioned back to seeing these teenagers heading to the camp, and like I was like, ugh, we're you doing this again? I was, yeah. So, and I was like, I, because I, I mean, it's not a hot take at this point to say that that's pretty <laughs> contrived within this franchise. Right. Even, e- like, even, even in this very series. So I was more into it because I was like, okay. At least we're going to have different types of characters in this, like, woodsy
0: cabin Mm -hmm. type of setting.
1: And, yeah, I would say I thought it mostly worked.
0: I think the reason I was particularly appreciative of it is that in the first film, although I don't condone what she did, I can understand why Mrs. Voorhees is killing those particular counselors, even though they had nothing to do with the original death, right? It's like PTSD, it's the first time the camp's being opened. I even understand in two why Jason might, this is his first chance to like kill a bunch of teenagers that are counselors at the camp, right? But like by this film, we're at the lake, but that's really the extent of it. Like there, we're not even at the camp. They're not serving as counselors. And so I think seeing that he isn't just targeting teenagers, but he really has become this sort of like indiscriminate killer. Right? Yeah. It's, it makes more sense to me.
1: It kind of is like the next step. It was basically the Michael, the Michael Myersification yeah. of yes. Jason.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> and my favorite part about the Jarvis storyline really is this introduction of the Tommy character because mm-hmm. he, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to spoil it for you that he comes back and a couple of others, but no, it's okay. He comes back, and because of that, we're seeing him developed in a way that we're not going to normally see like an 11 or 12 year old boy developed in a slasher film. And and I, I really,
1: I mean, I really liked the masks that mm-hmm. he made. I thought that they were, I liked the detail and that that was just one really good prop design element that was like, well, you know, it's, it's nice. You appreciate, you take what you can get from these films. Yes.
0: And and it's a nod, of course, to to Tom Savini and all of his work as a makeup artist. And so right. I'm I'm very appreciative of when films make these gestures to the people who have built the franchise that are not in front of the camera right so what i find intriguing about the the presence of tommy is that how the final like parts play out right of course we have trish being set up as our final girl she's you know sort of not gendered in a way that's as sexualized as, as certainly any of the other teenagers are she's right pure and she's lovely and she's willing and ready and able to to do the things she's supposed to do as a final girl but what's interesting is that of course at the end of the day it's not Trish that that ends up defeating Jason it's our final boy so the article i want to reference is again from horror homeroom because they have that whole issue their very first issue that was on friday the 13th of 40 and it's got lots of great articles that kind of talk about many of the different films in the franchise. And there's one by a writer named Ethan Robles, is how I've chosen mm-hmm. to make up his last name.
1: Good choice. And
0: Yeah, thank you. And I let me tell you a little bit about who Ethan Robles is, and then I'll tell you what he is writing. So Ethan Robles is a writer working out of Boston. His fiction has appeared in... Aphotic Realm, Sirens Call, Easing, and Shotgun Honey. He's a staff writer at MorbidlyBeautiful.com, frequent guest writer at HorrorHomeroom.com, and he is active on Twitter if you want to follow him. And he presents us this argument about the sort of birth of the final boy in this particular film, and that's what this film gives us. So Robles talks about, of course, the final girl and how that's been a already established pretty clear thing within the slasher films tony would you be willing to for those people who maybe have forgotten what the final girl is all about would you be willing to to talk about her for a minute this is a theory carol clover
1: articulated by carol clover and it kind of discusses this trope this character trope that's developed within horror slashers i mean she kind of traces in a lot and puts a lot of emphasis on Lori from Halloween as being like a really clear articulation of this final girl archetype. They are kind of androgynous. They kind of stand on their own. They are they embody both masculine and feminine traits at the same time. And it is because of these kind of duality and their position as both being inside in, in, from the end group, but also outside that allows them. To understand to whatever creature they're whatever creature they're relating to, usually through some like trauma element as well, and that is what a- allows the final girl to be able to defeat this creature at the end, or at least for a little while.
0: Yes, at least until the next film in the franchise. That's so, right,
1: because I mean, as see that poor yeah. Lori. I mean she had I mean she's, she's had still what not been able to get to yeah, get it of We're we're Michael at like Myers.
0: 40 years later, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and of course there's been I'm I'm glad you mentioned the the last film in the Halloween franchise until the until when they reboot it, but uh Halloween ends is, is a really good example of the fact that we're in this, this moment this cultural interest in the final girl as more than just the sort of androgynous person that we can put our thoughts into right we've got lots of examples and we've talked about it extensively on this mm-hmm. podcast of books and films that are like ooh but let's start thinking about what happens next so roble says that every facet of trish's characterization is designed to be in direct contrast to the sexuality of the other teenagers in the film trish checks every box of clover's definition and as horror fans we can safely assume that she is our hero. The final chapter, however, has other plans. Throughout the film, Tommy Jarvis is portrayed as Trish's foil and is continually associated with monstrosity and sexuality. I really like that, that use of that literary term foil, right, to show us that, you know, Trish and Tommy, they're not antagonists of one another, which again is, I think, why it's really important that as siblings, they're not really bickering but they are serving as as counters of one another, right? They are mm-hmm. Tommy gets to basically do everything that Trish does not. And it starts with the fact that as Robles points out, when Tommy first appears on screen, he's wearing a mask that, yeah, it's an alien, but it kind of also looks a little bit like the misshapen head of child Jason, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that he's incredibly interested in monstrosity. He brings a complete stranger up to his bedroom. Just, like, so many stranger danger moments in this film. To be like, hey, check out my monster yeah. <laughs> makeup. Yeah, like, there's that scene where Trish is like, hey, Rob, if you ever need to take a shower, just so you know, we rarely lock our front door. <laughs> it's like, what?
1: Also, Rob is an interesting character in this one, too. We A weird relation back to the second movie.
0: Yes. too,
1: for some reason.
0: Yeah, it, it, why not the third or the first? Yeah, it's very... I want to talk a little bit more about Rob because he's intriguing. We'll and- be back. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back. So Robles t- talks about the fact that, you know, he says the final chapter is near comical and it's brimming sexuality. And Tommy, a 12-year-old boy, is no exception. So, of course, we get to see him being very excited by the nakedness of the teenagers that are across the the window from him um in in a scene that actually like lasts way longer than i felt comfortable watching a 12 year old being a voyeur but you know that's where it's at and ultimately what roble's argument is is that when he when tommy transforms literally into resembling a young jason what ends up happening is is that both the final girl and the final boy are chased they're hunted they both face violence they both live through the massacre but this is Roble's argument. Tommy differs, however, because he literally becomes the monster. Throughout the film, he is allowed to indulge in practices in an attraction to both sexuality and monstrosity that would have spelled doom for a final girl. By the end, Tommy not only looks like the killer, but he also becomes one. And of course, he refers to that final stare, which would have been an interesting place to end the franchise, right? With us wondering whether or not Tommy was going to become a future final boy. But of course, heaven forbid. That a franchise end, and and then he says, Robel says that that what's important about the presence of the final boy is that we're gonna see this taken further in Nightmare on Elm Street two, Freddy's Revenge, where we have a final boy struggling with homosexuality, and Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, which returns little Tommy Doyle to the Halloween franchise, and so Tommy Jarvis serves as our sort of prototype of the final boy that we're gonna get in other films. That he doesn't mention this, but but Evil Dead as well, right? I was about to say. I was like,
1: I guess this argument does not include Ash, even though he would. This that would have come out before.
0: We've talked about the fact that the Ash is sort of a final guy. I don't know if it's maybe the age difference that's important here because he is a college student, whereas all of the ones that that Robles mentions are younger. Right? They they really are more final boys than final it's guys. True
1: tommy's different though than that other character that gets mentioned in nightmare on elm street 2 because of his child status so i almost wonder if he's like a kind of fundamentally a different archetype like of this final child rather than and there's like the, there are clear age delineages at least within the mm-hmm. trope
0: yeah there there is something i think to be said about the fact that like, there's that really gross phrase that's like, boys will be boys, right? And and there's an element in here which this is really about, like, the construction of masculinity and where it begins, right? Like, the fact that it can begin yes. in this place of monstrosity and sexuality and that- At that, a young age. Yes. Whereas I think the final
1: guy motif that gets explored in- Evil Dead and Nightmare Two is more about like the performance and maintenance of masculinity, yes, and like this kind of like what happens if you can't uphold that, and like how are you punished or how do you have to conform or change? What are and whereas this is about like how, where does that begin? Where does that construction start? Yeah. So I think it is different, but it's an interesting thing I think to relate back to the larger and trope. It's,
0: and it's interesting that Robles mentions halloween the curse of michael myers whichever number that one is because it's a return of tommy doyle to the franchise after having survived right watching his babysitter have to like save him and all that good stuff so there's a difference there right between most final girls and certainly uh, tommy as final boy in that most final girls don't start born in trauma or maybe i should say that the narrative doesn't start that way and so i don't know if you can have someone that's a final girl that has already been in trauma like you can but it just changes things i that's my point is that i think robles has some interesting examples but you've made a really convincing case for why perhaps this needs a little further unpacking and i really liked your idea about the the sort of performative nature in nightmare 2 and in evil dead that is certainly not present right for tommy Uh, no
1: i don't because i don't think we're supposed to not believe tommy's like buttoning masculinity i think if i think if anything it is kind of particularly given the like intense levels of violence that he commits against another human being at the end it is something to be at least pondered and horror and like if not directly horrified at least being like wow yes i guess anyone's capable of this when you (laughs) embody that
0: I think what will be interesting is to see, because we've reached already the, the all of the Friday the 13th that I've seen in their completion, except for some of the like weird ones at the very end. So I haven't seen all the way through the other films with, with Tommy. And so it will be interesting to see if, now that he has endured trauma, if there is a more performative aspect, right? So that there's this idea, then that, mm-hmm. and this is like half-baked, but- an idea that the final boy gets to be whoever he wants to be because that's allowed. The final girl has been coded by society into how she should be, and the final guy is the true, right, foil to the final girl where it's now that they've suffered trauma or been denied an ability to be their authentic selves because their authentic selves goes against what has been coded as an acceptable masculinity
1: mm mm-hmm. I think it'll be intre- I think that'll be interesting to see if that does get developed or if this is just us putting in like work for what is. I think essentially could also just be like, eh, it's a kid. It's like Kid Jason, you know. It's yeah. like uh, it's like you know, it, 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 it just it's many me. It's mini Jason.
0: <laughs> and that is a really interesting part of this of the franchise of the first four films is the number of times that. There has been play acting as a member of the Voorhees family, yeah, you know it's
1: like, it's, it, it, it it really works. It's really effective. Um,
0: yeah, it's, it's like his kryptonite is like just pretend to be in his family. yeah, <laughs> whether or not you're pretending to be him or his mom, it doesn't really matter. but I think that's really there's something very intriguing in there, and I don't know if it like goes back to sort of like stages in developmental psychology and just kind of reinforces. That he has not developed properly uh, and like matured intellectually or if it's just just that idea of like when the animals get kind of entranced by their reflections right and they're just like what is this i don't understand but it is mm-hmm. intriguing how much of this film is about performing a monster to defeat the monster
1: and i mean like it's like literally symbolized via ma- the masks that He makes and creates and embodies in order to defeat it. So Jason, not not right, right. (laughs) Different.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just a smidge. Uh, And because uh, because at the end, Tommy, you know, he's he doesn't just apply makeup, right? He actually shaves his head and all this stuff. And and so it's really interesting to think about the ways in which he has to transform his body that do mimic some of the ways that we have been taught one needs to perform the body right in order to be accepted in culture or to be considered androgynous or not androgynous right there's there's a lot of of the film that reminds us of all of the like things that go into being attractive and it's he's doing the same things right that that many of the girls do in the film he's just obviously doing it for this slightly less sexy reason which is intriguing because he could have just put on a mask right like he didn't Mm -hmm. have to put on makeup and shave his head. Right. Except he did, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk quickly about about Rob, because Rob is an intriguing character. First, because his sister is from the second film, which feels like a intriguing connection to make, right? Like to just skip over three and not have it be one. But, you know, we have Rob. He's on this like quest for vengeance. But he also doesn't he has no clue what he's doing no to utterly incompetent
1: i which is you know about
0: right in the real about world about right
1: yeah it was like i don't know i thought that worked i thought it worked pretty well i thought it was well meaning but unable to do anything so like
0: and this is another place where i want to to give this film credit that i i can't guarantee it intended but this idea that you know i feel like as a general rule more men are probably going to just think that the solution involves grabbing a machete and going in the woods and expecting to be triumphant than many women would feel like that, that solution is, is an option. Right. Right. And, and I, I think that there's lots of evidence to support that in part because he kind of just assumes that if he puts a plan to action, it'll succeed. Right. Like, isn't that just how probably most of his life has worked? And so it was really great to sort of see this reminder that, you know, actually, if you're going to survive, it's going to be because you're not conforming to the traditional roles, right? You're either going to be the final girl or the final boy. But I don't think the film was quite that clever intentionally. I think that was just another one of those instances, like you said, of, you know, it, it making us question some of the conventions and some of the like elements of authority, but I don't know that it was doing so intentionally, even if it yeah happens. And it's, I think it's been a shame, honestly, that Rob did have to die then in, in that
1: context too, because yes. I think it would have been, which does make me think it wasn't necessarily for the like reasons that maybe we, you just mentioned. Right. But I, I don't know. I, I think I, I th- it's a good, it's a really interesting element, particularly to include in from 1984. Yeah, like this, just and then and then it's and then it's also then because it kind of then feels like once Rob goes, you're like they're setting up. It's Trish is, Trish is going to come in, Right. but then she does. She also doesn't, which right. is so. I guess I, I the movie is pretty. We kind of you'll notice from our discussion, we basically skipped over the middle, which is I feel where fair. all the kills are. Yeah, it's where the kills are, but it's also the worst part of the movie. I or the least interesting part of the movie at yes. least to me cuz it's the most formulaic and yes. just like con- contrived. I mean like you've seen you I think the best kills happen at the very beginning and the end even. Yeah, there yeah. are kill a lot of kills that happen in the middle but yes. I don't think they're the best ones. Maybe no. the one although maybe the one with the projector was pretty good.
0: So there are some that they they did make <laughs> I, an I effort. See. Yeah, so uh, they made an effort to have some originality in those kills. So that you're not just like, well, I've seen that a thousand times. It's more like, oh, I've seen that before, but it's been a while. I think the best way to describe it is exactly what you said. It's formulaic. It's not that it's good or bad. It's just very paint by the numbers of like, mm-hmm. you know, even so far as like, I'm going to go for a swim, even though in a previous scene, we made it very clear that the lake was kind of far away. I'm, still, you know, like there was just a lot of really sort of tick isolation, you know, tick, sexy shower scene. It was just a lot of that. And so I think you're right that the middle was just the the most expected parts.
1: Because then when we get to the end, we kind of are expecting Trish to kind of like come in and save the day, but that's not, as we've been discussing, that's not quite what happens either.
0: And I can't decide, (laughs) which is more or less my feelings about this film, I can't decide if the ending somehow in a really like, provocative and positive way complicates the concept of the final girl by having the final boy or if it somehow actually ruins the sort of best parts about the final girl by having it be at the end that she has to rely on someone else it's fortunately not her lover, which or her boyfriend, or, you know, the it's, it is supposed... It's her, it's it's her, her brother, right? It's her yeah, family. It's- and considering that this has all been about family, messed up family relations, right? There's some nice parallelism. But the fact that at the end, she's not capable of doing it, and he is... Feels weird, but then you're like, but he's able to do it because he's able to tap into his monstrosity, and she's not, and is that a good thing? And I just don't know where to... I don't know where to rest at the end because by the very end of the film, she's no longer being coded completely as androgynous because now she's stepping into the maternal figure, right? So like her role has shifted from final girl to mother figure. And is that because he's the final boy now? And like, he's, he's our essence or I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this film because I don't know if it's just things that happened that I'm reading too much into or some like moments and sparks of brilliance that maybe got buried under some need for a more formulaic model.
1: And I think it's probably like little bits of both because it seemed like there's so much like s- spite and like determination that went into the filmmaking of this film. But <laughs> I'm like, I-, I imagine, I'm sure like they got something, they, they definitely were attempting to do something interesting yeah. here. And I think they succeeded- more often than not, even if there are still like some elements that are like would be served by like rebrand, like mm-hmm. just a tightening up, like the whole middle, like yeah. the whole middle, <laughs> right? But right. you know, all in all, I have to say, I thought it was a, I like this one a lot more than the previous entry and yes. franchise, and I liked it more than the original. I don't think I still think I I like I like two mm-hmm. more just because 2 is a little bit more ambitious and a little bit more concise, I think, and, and a little bit more fun overall. But this one might be the most interesting one they've done so far, just because of how many, like, subversions it does. Even if, like, some of its subversions, like, at the very end, with, like, Trisha being subverted by Tommy, kind of, like, complicates the previous stuff yeah. that's set up. It's still interesting. Like, I'm like, that's still more interesting than most slashers. Yes.
0: And and Robles kind of ends his argument by saying Tommy's engagement with monstrosity and his burgeoning sexuality feel, quote, normal because viewers expect masculine subjects to be interested in monster movies and women's bodies. However, one of the things that that we can ask ourselves to consider is that these are also the things that allow him to literally be able to turn into a monster. Yes, he manages to save the day, but we have to ask ourselves mm-hmm. if he is that easily able to, to step into his monstrosity, and we've coded that as a normal sort of like behaviors, right? There, there is this question of, of whether or not we should be asking ourselves if we, society, right, create our killers, because that final stare, right, of Tommy just sort of staring at the, the camera with, with that dead gaze, I'm not sure we're supposed to feel comfortable or happy with how it ends in a way that sometimes we do when it's the final girl, right? Even when she's covered in blood, we're like, but yay, you made it out. This one feels more like this is the beginning of of a broken person. And I don't know if we feel that way more because of the camera work or because he's he's a kid or because he's male. But that is an interesting way to have potentially ended at least the cycle of a Friday the 13th.
1: yeah. I I, th- I think so, too. I think that, like, if they had, if producers had gotten their wish and, like, this had been the last one, like, I think this would have been a pretty strong one to end on. I, I or at least have an interesting film to end on in, in the franchise. It's certainly more interesting than Nightmare on Elm Street's attempt at their final chapter from our last franchise watch-along. So, I, you know, I'll take that. <laughs>
0: So we will, of course, be eventually continuing our discussion with Friday the 13th, a new beginning the new beginning something about a beginning but it'll begin again it will begin again (laughs) before we get there though we're gonna as we do rotate to another film and we're gonna do another sort of like mini arc if you will that's looking at a story that has been revamped uh multiple times over tony what is our next episode gonna be on
1: we're gonna be doing a thing on the thing um Uh So, we're going to be discussing the film from 1951, The Thing from Another World, in conjunction with the adaptation, although many people think this thing is the original thing, from 1982. So, we're going to be doing one of our double features to kind of discuss all things
0: thing. And I will bring in a little bit from the... Novella that inspired many of, of the versions of The Thing, and that is Campbell's Who Goes There, just to kind of give us that that background of, of the text that sort of set things up. And part of the reason that we're not having an episode on each one is that that would take us a really long time to work through all of these. But also, I think the most interesting conversation is really going to be in thinking about them uh, and sort of juxtaposed together. So start watching The Thing from Another World and, and The Thing. If you want to go ahead and take a read of who goes there. Tony, what else should they be doing in the meantime?
1: You can check out some of our other episodes, wherever you get podcasts from on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, wherever, Podbean. You can get our podcast there. And you can, while you're listening, you can go ahead and give us a rating or a review. If that really helps us out. You
0: can follow us on our social medias. Which are all listed in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spectacular day.